What's up? It's Ed. This is Wrestling for MMA. It's a uh, weird episode because I didn't have time <laughs> to record earlier in the week or to prepare any sort of longer form breakdown. So what I'm doing instead is I'll talk a little bit about uh, a couple of things that have happened on the card that is finishing up right now, which is uh, Bagni versus Chiesa. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, Daniel Hooker versus Michael Chandler, which is upcoming this weekend, a very wrestling-centric fight. And I'm hoping, depending on how this broadcast works, that I'll also be able to provide commentary on the entirety of the Chiesa versus Magni fight. Uh, our boy Iggy just did a commentary on Max Cater for his podcast. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try to do it on, on this one. Uh, unfortunately, the fight still has a couple minutes left. It's not letting me rewind in the broadcast. So I'm going to do the first portion of my podcast and then see if the fight is there for me to watch in its entirety right away. I hope so. Or they've been taking my money for a subpar product, which is likely. Okay, so first let's talk about this card. Uh, Magni versus Case, a card was long. <laughs> it went on for a while. Uh, but there were a couple of good fights that, that I saw. I only missed the first card, the first fight on the card. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, but the first one I definitely want to talk about is the Umar Nurmagomedov versus uh, Sergey Morozov. Uh, Umar is Habib's cousin, but he fights at Bantamweight. I noticed him a few years ago. He's one of the, you know, within the first year or two of me writing about MMA, I, I caught sight of him uh, in FNG just, you know, because he was Habib's cousin, but he caught my attention because he's a striker, um, which, you know, differentiates him from the, the family a good bit. Uh, apparently he is a national Muay Thai champion in Russia. I can't confirm that, uh, but he's an outside kicker. That's what he does. He, he jabs a little bit, but he's always been an outside kicker. Uh, he likes his question mark kicks. He likes his uh, uh, lead leg round kicks. He likes uh, a lot of push kicks uh, to the face as well. And yeah, basically his whole thing was just, you know, footworking himself on the outside, uh, not always, you know, the most efficiently or the best, but, you know, like, like outside strikers like to do in MMA. So he looks like an outside kicker in MMA, uh, less in a kickboxing context. And uh, yeah, I was always kind of interested in him just as a striker. Uh, but over the past few years before he got into the UFC, he's been developing as a grappler. He fought in a PFL, I believe. Maybe it was still World Series of Fighting Men. I think it was PFL. Um, but he's been you know, picking up his wrestling and grappling the whole time. And this fight against Sergey Morozov, which I believe was his UFC debut, or maybe his second fight, I'm not positive. Um, he looked like a really good wrestler. So basically it's kicking to be annoying on the outside. And whenever Morozov tried to push in hard, uh, Umar changed levels and, and hit a reactive double leg. And they're very clean uh, for the most part. There was one where uh, he mostly just did it in place, just drop levels in place. And, you know, it's really hard to drive from that position. But it's a little bit easier to uh, pivot and turn the corner get your head around so it was basically the exact same way that uh Habib finished that double on Justin Gaethje uh, very similar and he took his back off of that he might have done it twice I think he might have done it to end the fight as well that's what he was talking about in the post fight interview he's like oh I did it better or like faster or something like that uh, I don't remember but uh yeah it looked good um and his reactive double was very fast and I think that also differentiates him from Habib that he has a reactive double which we only saw from Habib once against Pat Healy and then once against Justin Gaethje. So 
things to be a much more consistent part of Umar's game. And people are going to be trying to pressure him because of his kickiness. Uh, so I think that's that's a pretty good fit. I wish he would get better as a boxer, but if he's still training at AKA, which he probably isn't right now because of COVID, um, but you know, I, I wish he would focus on his boxing because he could be a very functional striker in the division. He would supplement his wrestling. It would supplement everything. It doesn't make sense not to be a good boxer in MMA. It's, it's a very logical uh, thing to do. So that's my that's my thoughts on Umar. Uh, Mike Davis fought on one week notice versus Mason Jones. Like I was basically just a punching bag, um, which you know became difficult. <laughs> it became difficult for Davis because he he did get tired of beating him up, uh, and you know hit some reactive shots, punched his way into a couple shots, looked good despite getting tired. Um, you know, hard to judge him a lot just because of the one week notice type of thing. Uh, are there things that matter? Ricky Simone. Just very competent as a wrestler and grappler, uh, knows how to pressure to the cage, knows how to wrestle in the cage, knows how to continue mat returning and uh, passing and, and getting to dominant positions, and just looks very competent as a wrestler, uh, a wrestle boxer archetype in MMA, you want to say, but you know, focusing on the, on the wrestle part. And uh, he got a submission win there. It looked good. <laughs> Tom Vries and Omari Akhmedov, that was really dumb. Uh, basically, Tom Breeze was doing a decent job defending uh, when Akhmedov tried to take him down. And then once he was in the clear of the takedowns, he pulled guard on a submission. He did this at least three times. He did it immediately on a guillotine after he defended the single. And then he did it later on with like a cast slicer. He, he did it multiple times. And it just boggles the mind because your only job in this fight was to not be on your back. Omari Akhmedov can like punch hard and like swing in a pocket, but he's, he's not anything as a striker. Tom Breeze is better as a striker. Good enough as a grappler to, you know, survive if they go down for a little bit. So just limit the amount that you're on your back. Don't willingly go to your back. I don't know why he thought his his path to victory was submitting him. Um, he he knew enough wrestling to not get taken down a bunch of times. So Tom Breeze uh, makes some questionable decisions. It might be tied into his anxiety. I'm not sure. But that was upsetting <laughs> to me. And then he got top games and he got arm triangled. Uh, Lorraine Murphy versus Douglas Silva, D'Andrage had wrestling, but I don't remember it because I wasn't totally paying attention because this happened during the work day. So I wasn't able to zone in on everything. Uh, <laughs> Viviania Aruja versus uh, Roxanne Modafferi had a bit of wrestling, but not good enough to talk about. And the next two fights were knockouts. So it's just the main event to talk about. And I will uh, when it's available for me to watch and I'll, I'll take a second to set that up and not you know make you listen to me finding it <laughs> uh but before we do that quick discussion on michael chandler versus dan hooker uh very high profile matchup at lightweight hooker and well i don't know about hooker hooker was in a, what could have been sort of a number one contender type spot if he beat poirier uh lost that fight it was relatively close but he lost that fight um and now he's got chandler and Chandler could also be putting himself in a number one contender type of fight after this, or maybe with this, um, because, you know, he's coming over as high profile Bellator guy on a winning streak, former champion, uh, and toward the end of his prime, if not post prime. So, you know, clock's ticking. I am concerned. I'm concerned about this matchup. I've done two breakdowns on, on Michael Chandler. I, um, when he was signed to the UFC, he was put in as like a potential alternate 
with the Gaethje versus uh, Khabib fight. And I wrote about what would happen with him and Gaethje, just focusing on his offensive wrestling. And I wrote about what might happen with him and Khabib and what focused on his defensive wrestling. I like, I like both. I like his defensive wrestling and his offensive wrestling. I think he's very well integrated. Excuse me, very well integrated as a wrestler in MMA. A lot of cool setups. Um, pressures, better than you would think. Uh, more intelligent at pressure than you would imagine. Uh, mostly because two things. One, Bellator has a circular cage, so pressure becomes more important. Um, it is much harder to pressure someone on a circular cage than an octagon where there are no corners for them to run into. They could just keep circling in Bellator, so he had to be better at cutting it off. So he got really good at um, you know, explosive lead side hooking to either side, um, and he got good at kicking to cut off, um, cut off the exchange. And he doesn't do low kicking. He does body kicking to cut it off. Uh, like step in, lead like a switch kick type deal, but you know, uglier, or just a, a blasting, uh, what you might call a middle kick, you know, or a rear round kick to the body. So he's pretty good at that. And yeah, that would be my other reason is that he just trained with Henry Hooft. He's been learning Dutch style combinations for a while, and Dutch style combinations are good for pressure, um, good at cutting people off. So he's good at that. He also likes to blast a straight right down the middle, which if you have bad footwork, that'll also get into the cage. He wrestles very well in the cage, uh, super strong, super good at grinding, very explosive, obviously. Um, chains really well in between, uh, you know, can you know, single people off the cage and redouble and, uh, you know, just get to really strong positions, good, good in a body lock, uh, good open space. Uh, open space is actually where I'm a bit more concerned about this because a lot of his open space setups are about the way his entries are controlled. So he either pressures super hard and is just crashing forward and whatever happens, happens depending on his opponent. Uh, and then he gets in the cage and then they're wrestling or they come at him hard and he reactively uh, shoots singles or doubles on them. I don't like when he shoots singles as much. He doesn't really do it as much anymore uh, just because, you know, so sometimes he you know, just takes the leg for what it is and says, okay, I just need to get to the leg and he'll shoot himself into kind of a bad position. Uh, I wrote about that. Uh, you saw it against Alvarez a decent amount in the first fight, a little less so in the second fight, but, but still, um, still happened. And, uh, or maybe it was just the second fight. It might have just been the second fight that I, that I talked about that. Um, and he was better in the second fight. So more important. But again, that was eight years ago. <laughs> it's weird to think about. Um, but yeah, open space, when he's not pressuring super hard, he's bouncing in and out. And the bouncing in and out works for him decently just because it kind of covers when he's going to explode in because he keeps setting this motion of I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in. And then all he has to do is make the next in a much bigger burst than the last one. Now he's com he's coming in. So it's not just one big moment. He does it a bunch. He's not doesn't like sell out for like, oh, I'm just going to get this one big explosion. He does it a bunch of times, um, which, which lends itself to his setups because, oh, Chandler's exploding in and he's changing levels, this is a takedown, no, it's a body punch, no, it's an overhand, no, it's a straight right, or yes, it is a takedown. Um, so you saw it against Brent Primus in the rematch, he, he took Brent Primus down all the time from everywhere, but you saw it against Brent Primus that he, uh, <laughs> three times in a row, he, uh, he did that same setup and then uh, bounced in for a straight to the body. And Primus wanted to counter him bursting in and kept swinging at his head, which was dumb. Uh, and then eventually, you know, Primus was swinging at his head and Chandler was level changing underneath it and taking him down. So that setup makes sense, right? Um, 
that's that's kind of the setup he's been favoring from that position. So Dan Hooker does punish people for changing levels right in front of him. He does have some knee knockouts. He does have a pretty good knee up the middle. That's one specific read that makes me nervous. He's also, you know, just generally a good linear fighter. You know, he's got a jab. He's got some nice uh, straight weapons, uh, straight linear weapons. So that, that could be an issue if that's how he decides to approach this. Also, he's, you know, dangerous in the pocket. He swings hard in the pocket. He's got a cheater chin, <laughs> like very, very difficult to hurt. Um, like Poye was beating him up in these combinations in the, in the pocket. But then, you know, he's like, why aren't you going away? And he kept trying to hit him. And then he was falling apart. And then Hooker just stayed there and ate it all until he was in a good position to swing back at him and uh, crack him in return. That's actually how Hooker knocked out Gilbert Burns. Hooker lost the exchange in the pocket, but then just stayed there until Gilbert was done, uh, you know, and left himself open. And then Hooker threw and then Hooker knocked him out. Um, so cheater chin, definitely a, a factor here. I don't think Chandler has a bad chin. It's just not good enough to play. Let's do that in the pocket. <laughs> um, maybe it is. Maybe we'll, we'll see an absolute war. But uh, that concerns me for sure, just from a striking standpoint, just pure, you know, they're both going to hit each other and one guy's way more durable and they both hit hard. Uh, Hooker is also very hittable. But again, cheater chin and he's got, you know, decent cardio, decent, not great. Uh, he does gas out. I think when people see like a lanky, skinny cardio type guy, yeah, who does a lot of volume? They're like, oh yeah, he's probably in great shape. He's in good shape, but he did gas in the Poirier fight. Um, he does lose efficacy over time, uh, so that's that's worth looking into. Chandler has tired before, but Chandler tires from going a million miles an hour for five rounds, and this is a three-round fight. I think that favors him actually, uh, just that he can go a million miles an hour the whole time basically, and I don't know if Hooker can handle that. If you can enforce that on him, it might end pretty abruptly and quickly. Like I said, I'm really nervous about this. Uh, Chandler seems fairly counterable. And Hooker, while he doesn't have like great counter tactics, he does find them, and usually selling out on his chin to do so, and he does hit people pretty hard. So that is a point of concern for me about that fight. Um, with regard to Chandler winning, I think that is also very possible because Hooker is not a good wrestler. So Hooker, as I said before, is a tough person to get to wrestling against just because, you know, length, counter weapons, um, anti-wrestling striking tactics more so than anything about his wrestling itself. His wrestling itself is pretty bad. If you want proof of that, I would say watch the Hatsu Hiyoki fight from his featherweight career. He did not look good there. And Hiyoki was shooting leg attacks, which he never does. And it was working a lot of the time. Um, so that's not good. And then... um Recently, Dustin Poirier wrestled in two, and he looked terrible. It was later in the fight when both of them were dog-tired, but he, he wasn't defending at all. I mean, he was doing a really bad job defending. So I am concerned about his instincts as a wrestler. This fight hasn't been booked long enough that I think Hooker is just like a magically going to become a much better wrestler. Um, I'm sure he'll train it and, and get better, but... I, I would I would be worried about that just because Chandler is a very effective MMA wrestler. Um, and then his ground game isn't much either, Hooker. So, uh, and, and Chandler's pretty dangerous on the ground, decent top game, not, nothing crazy, but just, you know, decent control from static normal positions like back or a uh, full guard or what have you. 
um, crazy, crazy guillotine, this crazy power, uh, like a 10 finger guillotine uh, that he puts people on their back with. He doesn't pull guard on guillotines. Um, and Poirier got to guillotine positions against Hooker a decent amount and then pulled guard on them. So I wonder, will Chandler guillotine Dan Hooker? <laughs> it's, it's possible. Will Hooker guillotine Michael Chandler? Also possible. Um, this fight's probably going to be really messy and violent and crazy. Um, but honestly, I, I wouldn't be mad if it was just Chandler being smart and getting into the cage and wrestling him and taking him down and just being Chandler in a safe version. It could also happen that he just blasts Hooker in the face and actually hurts him and knocks him out. That seems less likely, but it could happen. So that's my mini breakdown on that fight. It's just too crazy for me to put a lot of thought into it and like confidently predict one way it's going to go. Um, it's just like a really messy matchup in my mind. So I don't really want to uh, put a lot of stock into predicting it going one way or the other. But those are some things that I anticipate. Those are just a couple of notes. Um, is there anything else worth remarking on with that card with regard to wrestling? Oh my God. Mosvar Ivoyev is fighting Nick Lentz. Nick Lentz is a very meat and potatoes wrestler in a bad way, and he's not very athletic and he's slow. Mosvar Ivoyev defended one of the most persistent athletic performances I've seen from a wrestler uh, against Mike Grundy and just looked very good in all aspects of fighting a wrestler. He looked like he had the competencies of defense. Uh, on the feet and from the bottom he had good counters and his striking style a lot of jabbing and body attacking and decent footwork makes me think that he is a good anti-wrestler as well so Nick Lentz isn't going to be able to volume shoot on him and I think the striking might be like fairly competitive at spots just because Lentz has really improved in that regard but I think this is a good showcase fight for Evoy and I'm not really worried about it so Andrew, you asked this last week, but I think about that fight. I, I don't, I'm not worried about it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, there's also Amir Albazi, who's a good grappler against Zalgash Zhumagulov. I don't remember watching him. So maybe he's a grappler and wrestler, maybe he's not. I'm just, just stereotyping him because <laughs> of his name. Uh, Mahmoud Muradov is a boxer, can't trick me there. And uh, Armin Surkin, good competent wrestler. I'm looking forward to that one. Maybe he'll wrestle against Nazra Hakparas. I believe Hakparas got wrestled against uh, his last opponent. I want to say Munoz. Alexander Munoz wrestled him a decent amount in the beginning. Um, and I was actually pretty concerned about him losing that fight. So Armin Sergian might actually be able to pull that one off. It should be a, a nice little win for him. And uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. and Brad Tavares are going to fight. Tavares is like a decent-ish grappler. People probably remember Yoel Romero throwing him around, but Obviously, that's Yoel Romero. Um, so that's an interesting one from a grappling wrestling perspective. That's basically it. That's basically it. Um, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. If Poirier is able to start pressuring McGregor to the cage, I could see him wrestling because he actually does have a good double on the cage. That's like the one wrestling thing with Dustin Poirier that I'm actually confident in. That he's good in that position. So if the fight you know devolves into a sloppy mess, they both get tired and it continues into you know third third and fourth round. I, I could see Dustin taking him down against the cage. I think Nate Diaz got like decently deep on doubles against the cage against Connor. It's not a good sign. So Poirier's pretty good there. So I could see later on maybe even taking him down, but the most likely scenario is a first or second round knockout by McGregor. But uh you never know. Okay. So that marks the first break in our podcast. 
So I'm going to take a quick pause and then I'm going to try to watch Neil Magny versus Michael Chiesa. And I know the outcome. I only saw the last round. So we're going to watch the whole thing. I'm going to commentate it. So stand by. Okay. That really didn't feel like a break for you because I paused the recording, but I'm back. I found it. It's working. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for uh, believing in me if you did. And uh, yeah, I'm actually going to share my screen and I'm going to put the video up for you fellas on Patreon. So if you're not on the fight site Patreon, uh, sucks to be you, I guess. Uh, you can just listen to me do the audio. I think it'll still be fairly informational and informative and you'll probably just watch the fight. So that should be helpful. But uh, subscribe to the fight set on Patreon and you can see the video while I talk about it, which I think is a nice little, nice little perk. We like to replace the UFC commentary crews as often as possible um, because they're bad. They're bad at their jobs. I'm not a professional commentator, but I think I have better things to say about the fights. So if you care about good things being said about the fights or like the wrestling perspective or the grappling perspective, I can help you with that. I don't know all the names for grappling things, so I'm not as good there, but I understand basic positioning. So we'll see. We'll see how I do here. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny are both prolific clinch fighters and body lockers. So I expect a lot of clinching and body locking. They're in the open stance matchup right now, both pawing with their lead hands. And uh, nice, Kiesa uh, weaved in off his straight to try to get that underhook. Now he's got over-unders, uh, really loose underhook there on the, on the hip. Uh, but yeah, I, I expect him to try to push it to the cage off the clinch rather than trying anything in open space just because he wants to settle his positioning and, and get to a stronger point to take down. And Magni would probably rather pressure him to the cage of striking to do that. Uh, if I was Magni's camp, my game plan would be not to do that. <laughs> and just to you know, strike from the outside and keep him off of you because you're, you're better there. He's definitely a better striker. Case um, is pretty jank on the feet, but he's all, that's always how it's been. It's just how he works. Um, so yeah, let's, let's check out how, how this goes. Um, Magni is in the threat of linear kicking fainted a little uh, push kick there, or front kick to back him up. That's good, because I think Kies is mostly going to be working linearly, so if you can just show him things that say, don't come into my space, that should be helpful. Magni jabbing into the cage there, backs him straight up. A lot from the hand fight here, so jabbing, you know, theoretically should be less in play, but uh, yeah, Magni's doing a good job firing it off inside, inside that line, in between the arms. Yeah, Kiesa using his rear hand to, to feint in. So the rear hands are probably going to be most of the entries. That's where they're going to be able to cover distance because if they try to push in too much with their lead hands, they're probably just going to end up hand trapping and grabbing the fingers or parrying. There's a lot of parrying already. Lead hook attempt. That's probably a smarter way to do it because you can get around the parry, get around the hand fight. Um, but, you know, oh, there we go. We'll clash of heads. Yeah, the rear straight's going to be how they both choose to collapse distance here, which I think you'll see it less from Magni. He'll probably try to keep it long or do it off kicking. That's smart. Doubling up on it. Just, you know, you can push Kiesa back. That's a smart thing to do. Just don't clinch at the end of your combination, which is sometimes very difficult for fighters not to do when they're pressuring because they continue to crash forward or like the other guy moves back a lot. So you, you know, try to 
compensate by moving forward a lot more. And then you end up clinching. So people clinch backs and all the time. I think that's why they clinch with Neil Magny is because it's kind of hard to get to him because of his length and they overcommit to the entry and then they end up clinching him and then he takes them down and yada, yada. Rinse and repeat. So it's been that general dynamic. Both are having a decent amount of success pressuring each other, but I would say Magny's doing a better job doing it in open space. Oh, nice outside, outside trip there off the body lock. Let's take a look at that again. I'll pause it once we get to the position. So it looks like it was a little, uh, little hit faint there to get Magny's arms to come up. Actually, would like to see it one more time so I can confirm that. It's going to be longer than the actual fight because anything, anything important looking, I'm going to try to talk about it. So we're in this open stance matchup. Case is getting low and, and you know playing with the lead hand. I think trying to draw out that the other lead hand, that way when he bursts in, he knows that Magnus can be throwing the rear hand so he can duck under it and get to the clinch position. Let's see if he does that. Stutter stepping in. So yeah, he fakes that rear leg. What does that make Magni do? It makes him lean back and turn away. So not a good defensive reaction, not the counter as I was expecting, um, but it did just completely take him out of his stance and pick his arms up. His arms did come up. Chiesa is basically pushing at him just to get his arms to come up to hand fight with him. And then off the hand fight, he's collapsing around the arms. So he's getting case uh, Magni to try to come in to push him off. He's coming around. So he's looking for overhooks here. Um, different than a wizard, overhook is actually just when you go over the arm. A wizard is specifically when you jack it up to uh, use leverage. So he's going for overhooks here, going for an over under body lock, it looks like. And he's already stepping around, if you see with my cursor. He's already stepping around to block that knee on the overhook side. You want to trip to the overhook side because if you try to bring them down that way and it's an underhook, then their arm is still free. So if you're trying to bring me down that way, I can just post out my arm and break my own fall. Post your arm on the mat. Does that make sense? So if you try to go the other way, one, he doesn't have a knee block on that side, so it'd be hard to bring him over. But otherwise, he'd also have a post to keep himself from falling over. And usually with an outside trip like that, you're bringing yourself to the ground at the same time. You might be falling to your hip. So it's really important to cover top position afterward. If they have height over you because of the post, they're going to end up on top in that scramble. So the knee block allows him to bring him over his own knee as like a barrier. Uh, so he's basically tripping him over the knee while, you know, turning him with the over under body lock. Uh, so just big outside step to do that, I believe. Yeah, big outside step, over under body lock, gets him in half guard. I probably won't go into that much detail every time something happens, but if it happens quickly and I need to see it again, then I probably will do that. So now we're in top half guard position. A lot of chest pressure from Magni. Uh, I mean, from Chiesa. Now he's uh, coming inside the leg to, to pull his knee out and either slide to mount. Yeah, he's looking to slide right through to mount. And he's using shoulder pressure on Magni's head to keep him, his uh, upper body in place so he can't uh, squirm out of there or shrimp or anything. A lot of forearm framing, a lot of cross body half guard work from uh, Chiesa. And he's going for the Kimura. So he went cross body to get that Kimura grip, which is also a good uh, cross body control position. I did a podcast with Zach Makovsky on a couple of fights, and he said he basically always looks for cross body control because uh, that's basically the only way you can ensure that you have both their uh, lower body and their upper body controlled. I mean, if you think about it, the only other way to 
ensure that is to get really, really straight on pressure and cover as much surface area as possible. But the downside of that is if they shrimp out, then you are, you know, you have the mat underneath you and, and you have to, uh, you know, whiz her out and start to have to work at an angle rather than uh, having them pinned down in the first place. So I get that when they lean up, you have a lot more options of where to go. Um, you can see uh, Kiesa, his half guard looks loose, but he also has that foot hooked on the outside of the leg and that was giving him a little extra uh, added control and a little more mobility. You can switch out of that position and slide them out more easily. It's not allowing Magni to lock him down in half guard. Uh, but I think Kiesa likes this half guard and probably likes it more than side control because he has the lower body controlled as well. Um, so Magni probably wants him to pass because it's easier to get up uh, from other positions than it is from that half guard. Yeah, a lot of pressure on the neck and, and head of Magni keeping him, uh, keeping his upper body glued to the mat so it's hard to, uh, to shrimp out. Um, a lot of the time people just look to control the legs or just control the upper body. Case is doing a good job applying pressure to both sides. I'm just gonna skip right through between rounds because I don't want to be advertised to. Oh no, I went too far. <laughs> All right, gearing up for round two here. Let's see if anything changes. Kiesa fighting like he uh, is expecting pressure. He's bracing a lot more and, and seems a little more fidgety. The back foot, his feet are moving a little faster. It doesn't necessarily mean his footwork's better. It just means he's doing more. <laughs> A oh, nice little uh, front kick entry there to, to collapse the distance. He came in off the front kick and got that over-under body lock again. Uh, he uh, he tried to collapse off the over-under body lock to drag him straight down, try to suck it in. Didn't get it, and then reached for the ankle pick afterward. Still didn't get that, but it was a nice little chain. And now they're clinched up against the fence. And uh, here, here's the difficult thing when two guys are tall. is Normally, Kies is used to when people have a deep underhook on him like that or a deep body lock. He can whiz and bring them up, and they are nowhere near in posture position to take him down. Uh, but Magni is a comparable height, so it's actually tougher for him to shut that down that way. And I totally missed how he, uh, he how he got to the underhook body lock position against the cage. So I'm going to go back a little bit just to check it out. Um, so yeah, we had Magni in the underhook position here. Case has the wizard. Trying to control the hands. Looks like he's just going to pummel in. Yeah, he just, he just turns in and pummels in himself. Um, yep, yeah, gets his own underhook, goes over under body lock against the cage. And I don't know what Magni just tried to do there. Magni tried to bail on it, um, probably mid-transition and uh, ended up getting turned on it himself. You see Kiesa stepping around to block that knee. So the knee block is really important for body lock takedowns. If you just try to drag someone over and you don't have their legs blocked in any way, they can just step to regain their balance. If you take them straight back over, that's one thing to if you if you've ever had someone try to crunch you backward on a body lock, you you collapse. <laughs> it doesn't matter about your legs too much. It's hard to get your legs back. Uh, but if you're trying to take them down laterally, you got to block the knee and turn them over that. that uh, There you go. So he just turns them off the cage with the body lock there. So you need your body lock tight enough that you can move them. And you need your, your knee block in good enough position where you can you know, trip them over something. In case it goes triangle and... Uh, Kiesa, uh, Magni goes triangle and Kiesa goes double under stack pass to get to side control and then uh, Magni turtled out and then Kiesa covered and now he's trying to reach through to like a crotch lock position Magni is but uh, Kiesa just uh, hipped in and, and put chest pressure on and glued him onto the cage so he uh, lost all his uh, momentum there 
Now we're in the same body lock position with Magni on Chiesa. And oh no, <laughs> Magni just tried to trip him out and, and failed and ended up on bottom. Let's take a look at what he did here. So right now Magni has the body lock. He has a deep underhook on the right side and no no resistance on the other side. So he's got his, a, a clean body lock, no under under. under. It's double under, double underhooks, <laughs> body lock. And uh, Chiesa's feet are pretty close together. His base isn't very good. Um, it looks like it's, it's a good position to body lock him from. Uh, Magni does have the knee blocked. He actually has both knees blocked. Um, one issue I foresee is that Magni has the cage directly behind his butt. Magni has his butt pressed into the cage. And his feet are pretty close together. So it might be actually pretty tough to pivot and swivel uh, to bring Chiesa away from the cage. So I predict what happens is that Magni probably just tries to fall straight backward to that angle and pulls Kesa on top of him. Let's see. Okay, so he tried to lift. So he tried to lift to get uh, Kiesa's uh, posture a little taller. So basically, if someone has a wider base and you try to, you know, trap a leg, block a leg, and trip him out, they still have that other leg to, uh, you know, put some weight on, um, and and you're pulling them across rather than you have all of their weight right here. You can just bring it over one point and just tip them over. Uh, a wider base is stronger, right? Uh, so here, Magni tries to jack him up first with the body lock so he's taller and then trip him back. Uh, the obvious issue with tripping him straight back is that the cage is behind them, so he doesn't have much, as much room. So best case scenario, he's gonna sit him to his butt here. Um, it's not looking so good. So it looks like he's trying to kick out his, uh, his far leg by doing that. And it didn't work. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, it looks like Kiesa fell backward a little bit and then just kind of caught himself. And uh, Magni was off balance with the attempt. And Kiesa turned in and uh, he swiveled hard. He swam hard for the overhook as he turned back in to his right, uh, to his left rather, to our right, the viewer. And I think just the momentum from him turning in and Magni being off balance is what's going to knock him over. So it's a combination of bad execution from Magni and just good, uh, good balance and good instincts to to uh, exploit it. That case, nothing super masterful or, or planned, um, largely situational. But yeah, it was mostly Magni screwing that up, <laughs> and I think uh, maybe Kiesa just has good, good instincts, has has a good feel for that position. So he said, "Yeah, hey, if you don't get this clean, I'm gonna reverse you." And he probably feels good about getting height in a scramble and reversing anyway. So I think he's cool with Magni trying to take him down. That's my theory about that. I will do one one breakdown per round. I'm gonna keep myself keep myself to one one rewind slow motion breakdown per round because uh, it is time consuming and this is a five round fight. My mouth is already dry. <laughs> Should have filled my water before I started this. So we have Kiesa uh, getting height here, trying to pass. Um, looks like Magni's trying to come out the back door and come out underneath him, but. Chiesa has a tight wizard that's preventing him from getting much deeper. And uh, yeah, he's just scooting his hips back. He has full control of his hips uh, and can just sit right back down into half guard. Now, Chiesa is fully postured up. And uh, Magni's just trying to control wrists, but he's not doing anything to like shrimp back to guard or anything like that. And Chiesa can basically do whatever he wants right now besides anything with that one wrist that uh, Magni's controlling. Kiesa just keeps coming back to that head control. I'd say head and arm control, but he's not actually 
cinching up the other arm and controlling that. He's just keeping one arm under the under the neck, um, just to keep his neck cradled, and that's doing most of the work. So Magni not super dynamic off the bottom. Um, I think he has decent awareness, and I'm sure Kiesa is very heavy, and he's probably tired of grappling this guy. So I'm not exactly sure which stand up he he would like. Looks like he was favoring deep half before when it looked like he was looking to come out the back door. But uh, deep half in MMA, kind of a bad idea. Because <laughs> if you don't get it clean, you are fully committed, both arms on their legs, and they can just get height over you and they can start beating you up probably. So not the best, not the best. Yeah, Kiesa's just switching between cradling the neck and using stretch pressure to flatten him. And then when he wants to get posture and do something, he switches the forearm to the throat and the face and crunches them down that way so he can control his own posture to do other things. Yeah, Kiesa hasn't needed to close his half guard the whole time. Um, he's basically just keeping that outside foot hooked around uh, Magni's foot, and that's keeping him in decent position. But Magni's not even really, like, really trying to regard, so it doesn't matter that much. Not entirely sure what Magni wants to do off bottom. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> All right. Round three. It's coming up. I should have done the thing where you say, you know, when it is in the round, but I would have had to do that a bunch of times with me restarting it and fast forwarding it. So I'll do that now. It is 446 in the third round when I say that. Uh, you can tell I'm good at this. I have lots of practice. So on the feet, we have that same hand fight position from open stance. And uh, now Kiesa, I think, is banking on reactive entries a little bit more because he's uh, dancing around on the outside a little bit, trying to get Kiesa to run in on him. And he does, and he gets the over-under position again. And uh, let's, let's take a look at, the, look at that again. So Magni entering on a straight line. Kiesa square against the cage. For a striker, that's a good position. He's crashing forward. And uh, he stands still a little bit. I think the long arms get them tied up in these situations where they get into like a pocket range and they're not punching. I'm like, oh, am I grappling? What am I doing? And Magni must be so used to clinching people against the cage. It, it has to be super difficult to tell him not to clinch people against the cage once he gets to that position because he does it every fight. <laughs> so uh, he gets to this position and he starts to, you know, close that distance against him. And, and Kiesa just stood there and let him come after him until he was close enough. Uh, and he reached around uh, with his right arm for the overhook. And let's see if he gets the, yeah, gets the underhook on the other side, over under body lock, and he's already looking to step around uh, reactively because, you know, an overhook is over the arm. Magni goes underhook on the overhook side and starts pummeling. He pummels for double underhooks, puts a little bit of pressure on the lower back, that allows him to crunch uh, Kiesa in a little bit and control his uh, his posture a little bit more and then turns him onto the cage. So he's not just holding double underhooks, he's getting it low on the body, pulling his hips in so he can control his hips a little bit better and turn him on the cage. Now he's swiveling around. So at the back, he's chasing that angle in the back, but now Kiesa has a, uh, a loose whizzer and stood him up straight. Magni still has Kiesa against the cage though. Oh, we're at 4.05 now. There you go. <clears throat> In the third round. See, I remembered. I should have also said when I was pausing and looking back before, but 
<clears throat> no apologies. I won't apologize. I don't regret it. <laughs> so we just have uh, Magni trying to trap that far leg and what could be a body lock eventually and just beating him up. There you go. He lifts him and, uh, and trips that back foot out. So that's what he was looking for before. So a little bit better execution this time. Okay, fine. I'll look at it again. So let's go back to three. It'll be like 345 when I pause it. So ticking down, ticking down. Okay. So the thing that changes between him punching him in the face and him taking him down is he switches his left hand to the body lock. So he already had the right side underhook across the back, you know, hand peeking out on the other side. So all he really needed to do is reach across and connect the body lock across the body. And uh, Gaius is not really doing much. He has a loose whizzer on the underhook side. And now with the body lock, he starts to look for the elbow to pull that elbow out so he can get the hand off. Um, because if you have the elbow in, it's easier to crunch on the body lock. If you have the elbow out, it's not really as much of a thing. Um, so I'm going to hit play. And I'm going to pause again. Now it's at 343. Uh, so what Magni did this time was he pulled Chiesa toward him with the body lock. Um, instead of trying to bring him straight up and like fall back or anything like that, he pulled Chiesa in. He already had that, uh, that leg block. So uh, the right side of Magni's hips are behind Chiesa's butt. So he pulled him in. Now I'm going to hit play. And he just bumped him up a little bit off the body lock. In the momentum of coming in and coming up, Chiesa has no base. And uh, basically, as soon as he's up, he has a little bit of space behind him. Magni swivels and turns in to cover and, and crunch him down and land uh, with that body lock. That's a really dangerous technique uh, just with the spacing. Uh, Chiesa's leg easily could have gotten caught underneath him, and he could have had a pretty serious injury. So that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty effective move there. Um, but yeah, really impressive for Magni to hit that quick swivel. It happened while I was hitting pause. Uh, but yeah, I'm at pause at 3.42 right now, and he's doing that. But yeah, he's let go of him. <laughs> he let go of him. I think, uh, you know, landing on him would have been more effective. He probably would have hurt him. Um, he's going to cover up now, put a hook in, try to take the back. Got seat belt grip, sort of. Uh, he's got two on one. He's got a cross wrist, cross wrist on the back. And he's got a hook in, riding with one hook, with a cross wrist. Now he's punching. It's a good position for Magni. That was a good execution on that technique. Very procedural. Now he's back to the rear standing position against the cage. Case is up. And uh, Case stands him up with the wizard and goes, uh, <laughs> looked for the little uh, outside, outside wizard throw there. I don't know what the judo name is. I probably do, but I don't remember it. And they just pummeled there and Case uh, disengages. So for having a very dominant position, Magni didn't actually get a lot done <laughs> there. Case uh, was able to just keep his back to the cage and, and start to build up. And uh, Magni's just not that effective with the rear standing and the uh, one hook in. He doesn't have like a mat return system, like bumping them forward and, you know, the chains that come off of that, like someone like Khabib does. Oh, and Chiesa uh, doubles up on right hands and pressures Magni to the fence. And a pretty terrible <laughs> double entry there, but gets him to clinch. That's what matters, right? Still serves his goals. They're pummeling. Magni's got double underhooks. He's getting in front of them. There you go. Gets in front of them, bumps him off to get to that rear standing position. Chiesa turning in. 
trying to get tricky with the outside trips and stuff. Turns in there, another chest to chest. Still got a really loose wizard. Yeah, Kiesa doesn't feel comfortable clamping on that wizard because of the height. Um, he feels like he's too tall if he, if he commits to the wizard and he wants to be able to transition quickly. He's got a really loose body lock there. Tried to outside step. He knew he didn't have it. Couldn't move him. He's going triple on the other side. That's good. He turns, turns Magni, gets to his back. He tried to go broomstick return there. Basically, if uh, you lace your leg inside their leg, he tried to go scissor trip return there. He's got some good stuff. I think the broomstick's going to work, work better for him. Uh, Magni going Kimura counter on that rear stand position. And <laughs> Kiesa hits a, a cross lift to counter that. I think uh, Andrade versus uh, Nami Yunus, but from, uh, from rear standing rather than straight on. And it looks like Magni was going for a calf slicer, which I don't actually understand how that works, so I won't break it down. And Case has mounted him. And he's got an arm trapped underneath him, so Magni needs to buck his hips and, and swivel and turn chest down because he's mounted, and he can get out of this if he keeps swimming. And Case is just going to turn in and cover and get a front headlock. He's, oh, I put him on his back with a guillotine. Crazy. I'm just doing play by play at this point, but things are happening too quickly. I already did my breakdown for this round. I'm not spoiling you with multiple breakdowns for a round. <laughs> you get one. This has been a, a semi-interesting fight. Um, I just I never spend a lot of time breaking down guys who's like grindy clinch cage wrestlers, besides like Habib, for example. But I mean he has the system to go along with it. It all makes sense. Um this is more fluid, <laughs> more loose. So not as fun, but it's my first time really, really breaking down Chiesa and Magni. So shout out to all the Chiesa and Magni fans out there. There are unironically a few Magni fans out there. And uh, there is one Chiesa fan. That is Grand Moff Lorcan. I'm doing this for you, man. This is all for you. Come back to us. <laughs> and that's the end of that round. Let's do round four. I'm getting through this fight. I'm going to survive. I'm going to drink a lot of water. Um, but we're in round four. I will tell you my clock when it comes up. I am at 52, as I said that, of round four. Here's a fainting in a little bit. Looks pretty loose. Uh, his striking looks worse than it has in the past, but I think he has focused in on what kind of grappler and wrestler he is and is just doing the bare minimum on the feet, and I think that's fine. <laughs> I think that's fine. He probably wasn't going to be a good striker, so better not to waste his time. Uh, he's got a few tools that work for him. Uh, the front kick lets him, you know, attack from range, but also he can, uh, if you think about, like, Robert Whitaker versus uh, Brad Tavares, like, the way that you can explode in after you uh, reset. Oh, that was dirty. That was really dirty. Okay, hold on. Going back. <laughs> Let's see. We're at a 4.17. So Kiesa showed him... You might call it a shift. <laughs> he showed him a stance switch. Uh, he stepped up into uh, into orthodox and then stepped back into, into uh, southpaw. And then he did it again. So he's going to step into step into orthodox and then step through for right hand. And I don't know why Magni picked up his leg to check. Maybe he was planning on teeping him to keep the range, but Magni picked up his leg. I'm at 4.15 right now. Paused. Um, 
on pause. He hits him with the right hand, especially because he was on one leg. Um, so he's going to keep stepping through. He's going to weave through that right hand and <clears throat> I suppose step around. I don't know if he's going to step around both legs or just the, uh, the lead leg. Let's take a look here. So stepping back into southpaw. Yeah, just the lead leg. Back into southpaw. Great finds the lead leg. And I think he's going to go over under body lock again. Oh, no. So no over under body lock. As soon as he has the, uh, the hook around the lead leg, he's going to change levels, uh, go for a double, double leg grip. And uh, he's going to fall through to his own hip. Speaking of Zach Makovsky again, he told me he does not, not, not like these finishes for MMA. He doesn't like falling to his hip. That's because, it's, you know, it's risky. <laughs> what if you mess up and they're on top? Um, he's going to fall to his own hip. Uh, he's going to use that double to pull him backwards. He's got the knee blocked uh, on the side of the leg that he has control. And I think he's going to have to turn in here. So let's take a look. I'm at 414. Pause and unpause. He uh, he basically just swiveled his body so he could go chest chest to hips uh, so he could push him down with his hips. But I'm just confused about how he turned there. I'm just a look at his feet. So this starts at uh, like 420. So let's look at that again. 416, rather. So 416. Yeah, I, I am just, I guess he, he turns on his, um, he drops his knee on the rear leg. And I think he turns on his front foot. That's how he's, how he's able to turn, but that's like a, <laughs> these guys are both uh, hitting some pretty interesting uh, swivels or pivots or, or corner turns or whatever, changes of directions, whatever you want to call it. Um, pretty impressive directional changes to, to finish these types of techniques. Um, but yeah, you have to go chest to hips. You have to get that straight on pressure to get him to go back over the uh, the block. So if he just dragged him over the block, it wouldn't have been as effective as getting to turn and go straight over with the double. Um, and the double grip isn't what allows you to turn. It's, it's your feet, it's your footwork. So maybe dropping to the knee is what allowed him to turn on his own knee to finish that. I'm at 345 now that I say that. I was stacking in Magni's guard. Dropping back down, ground and pound. So this is the first time we're really seeing him operate from Magni's guard. It seems like a good idea so far. <laughs> getting getting height, coming up on one leg. Magni's just trying to control wrist for the most part, but same control system, right? Kiesa's getting that, that arm around the back of the neck. He went can opener there. He's just trying to keep his posture controlled so Magni can't you know set up whatever he wants to set up. He can only move when Kiesa lets him move. He's got the forearm and the throat there. It's a good way to keep his back flat. But if you've ever tried to submit someone who's in your guard while your back is completely flat, it's hard. <laughs> it's a lot harder than when you can, you know, posture the way you want to and control their head and control their posture and control their arms. Laying flat in your back and trying to control wrists, it's difficult. You really limit your options. So, and Magni's playing open guard there for a second, and uh, Kiesa stuffed the leg and uh, slid the leg through for half guard. Now he's got that cross body, and he's going Kimura again. And Magni tried to bump him forward, try to underhook that leg and bump him forward. And Kiesa turns in and recovers and covers top. Oh, now uh, Magni looked to get up against the cage, and Kiesa took his back. Went underhook on that side. On the left side, he's got a little rear naked choke grip. He's got a body lock on, but a uh, body triangle on. He's over the foot. 
and uh, Magni has a side of the lock on the mat, so probably not super painful, but he's trying to turn into it. He's trying to use the cage to walk his feet up and turn in, and Kiesa retains height and just uh, covers the mount. So I think Kiesa's ability to post off on the, the side opposite of the cage is what let him get that height. Nice. Nice back take. Uh, good motion. Good motion by Kiesa across the back. A good hustle just to keep circling and uh, cover head and then switch off to the back and, and keep his feet uh, behind Magni and keep his feet running to get to that position. It's going single off the cage and he tried to hit an elbow off of it. It was pretty pretty bad attempt. And now uh, Magni's coming in with knees and another counter reactive body lock from Kiesa. There's a lot that happens in this fight. Basically, every time they start grappling, I can't stop talking because so many things happen. They change positions very frequently. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's much harder than I imagined it was going to be. Kiesa dropping off to a single against the cage, completely just bending over at the, the waist. No no actual level change. And uh, Magni's attempt to punish that was an inverted triangle. I guess you've already been grappled for four full rounds at this point. Might as well sell out on meme subs, but Magni hasn't really showed efficacy on the feet to beat Kiesa by staying on his feet and not getting taken down. Because basically every time he pressures and makes a committed entry, he gets body locked. So I guess trying to submit him off your back is the next best path to victory. But inverted triangles are pretty low percentage. And Kiesa's height. And it doesn't look very tight. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Magna, let's go. We have about 10 seconds left in this roundabout. And it's just been the same dynamics playing out over and over, more or less. Um, not much has changed during this fight, and Magna doesn't really have any answers. So why shouldn't Kiesa just do the same thing over and over again to him? And uh, I'm ready to finish. Ready to finish this fight. I don't like repetitive fights. It's, it feels like a waste <laughs> of my time <laughs> to keep watching the same thing happening. Um, yeah, props to Kiesa for doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, if it's working, don't stop. We saw it against Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater. He made his reads within the first 30 seconds. Max did. He said, here is what I'm going to do to exploit your high guard and hit your body, get you to the cage because your footwork isn't that good off the back foot. And uh, he just did the same things pretty much for five rounds. Just <laughs> didn't stop doing it. Did it more. Just increased volume on, on the same strategies. So with grappling, it's a little tougher just because you can't really, if you don't have the attributes for it, you can't like really hammer a strategy like that. So this is uh, this is Kiesa's version of hammering the strategy. Just going to continue to grind him at the same pace for five rounds. But you have reliable takedowns, you have reliable entries. You're not in very much danger at all. And now that, uh, now that Magni's more wary of the, uh, of those uh, takedown entries, his hands are coming up, and he's uh, more vulnerable in the pocket. So Kiesa actually landed like a 1-3-2 combination while uh, Magni was reaching out for him. I'm at a 4-0-1 in the fifth round. Kiesa fainting a little bit, trying to get him to, to throw, I believe, or just disguise his future entries. But I did see this round a little bit before, and Kiesa does a lot of uh, circling on the outside because, he, I mean, he's up four. <laughs> So he doesn't really need to engage very much. This is more or less garbage time at this point. Uh, Magni trying to walk him down, throwing consecutive straights, and it's all at the high level. 
And Casey can just wait with his back against the cage and level change under him and get a counter body lock. And now he's in a rear standing on the cage. It's the same thing. It's very reliable for him. So Magni needs to vary targets. He needs to feint his entries. He needs to kick more. Um, there's a lot of stuff he could do differently, but this is how Magni wins fights is pressuring people with straights and clinching them against the cage. And it's really hard to stop doing the thing you've done in every single fight. Um, just so happens that Kesa is built to counter that pretty well. Oh, and Magni goes uh, with that uh, broomstick mat return there. Let's break down that sequence because Kesa just got top position. So let's go back to, let's call it 305. So we start with Kiesa against the cage. Magni's controlling his wrist. Kiesa doesn't even have an underhook. He just has like a very shallow overhook over like the elbow or the forearm. Now he's got the uh, now he's got the wizard. And Magni's got double underhooks. So he's got double underhooks. Kiesa just cinched up double overhooks. Um, you can definitely throw and trip people from double overhooks. It's actually a pretty easy position to manipulate people from as long as they aren't, you know, switching off to the body lock and crunching you in. So sometimes you have to get your hips back on that. So Magni tries to turn him with the body lock. He does so. He gets to the rear standing position. And he, I'm pausing again at 257. So Magni got to that rear standing position with the body lock. Kiesa went to fight hands. Instead of hooking around the leg, Magni took his left leg. He put it in front of the near leg of Kiesa, and he hooked it underneath the rear leg. So his leg is lacing through and pushing out with the foot on the far leg. So you're going to take out the base on that side, and you're going to fall back. And all they'll have to protect them to, to break their fall is just that one leg. And that's not enough. They're going to fall straight back over that leg. Let's take a look at that. So he falls straight back. But here's the problem. He had that, that body lock and he fell straight back into a, a back mount position. I think if the cage wasn't there, he could start to scoot and change his grip and, and switch to like a, a seatbelt grip. So that left arm should be coming over the trap so he can go across body like a seatbelt. Um, but here he still got the body lock cinched and immediately Kiesa looks to get height. So because there's no control of his arms, his arms are free. He can go with his left hand and post to get higher than uh, Magni. Why that matters is if he was tight with Magni trying to turn in, he's got Magni behind him and Magni can move with him. In this case, if he's taller than him and he goes to turn in, even if Magni turns, um, he's still over top of him. He's not directly controlling his posture anymore. So I'm gonna unpause this 255. And he's already looking to turn in. And what's important is he's looking to turn in and the body lock is stopping him from doing it entirely. So he's keeping that post and he's using his other hand to push the hands down and kind of scoot them down his hips while he turns. And uh, Magni's in a really bad spot there because of the cage. He can't really move too much. All he can really do is move up toward the open side, which would just put him underneath of Chiesa. So he's kind of screwed there. So one small thing that Magni could have done differently is switch his grip to the seatbelt as soon as he landed. So now we're at 241 of the fifth round. Magni goes deep half again, and Kesa uh, is sitting on his face and uh, is keeping him in place pretty well. <laughs> now he's going Kimura grip to counter because the arm is isolated. He's going to go hips, hips down 
his cover up in half guard. So Kayser has a few positions he feels comfortable in. He's pretty good at flowing in between them, uh, turning around and uh, getting his hips back. It's really just mostly hip placement. Um, never gets overextended, never comes over top of him, never jumps on any submissions or anything. Um, just keeps flowing through those few different positions and that's keeping him pretty safe. So it's not super exciting because he's not advancing very much and threatening with much other than the Kimura, but he is definitely winning. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, we have about a minute 45 left of me saying that. Um, yeah, I don't really see any, any much that could change here. Um, Case looked big, <laughs> big and strong. Uh, Magni isn't the strongest guy in the position in the division, but I think he's fairly physical. So it's a good, good look for Kiesa to be able to move him around the clinch pretty well. But I think it was mostly just competency. That was the difference. Uh, Magni couldn't bury his approach enough to stop Kiesa from exploiting him the way he wanted to. And uh, same, same with the ground. I think, I think there were some errors with the way uh, Magni was trying to do what he did, uh, the way he was clinching, the way he's grappling, the way he's trying to hit takedowns. Um, and Kiesa just knows more than him in those positions. See, he's more comfortable there. Um, he's more physically intelligent in those positions. He has a better feel. You not even be thinking about it. It's just been there so many times. It's like, I know how to stop someone from body blocking me. Oh, you don't have that grip. Here's how you scramble. Um, this would be something you could observe watching like a Joseph Benavidez fight of how he scrambles after he gets taken down. Uh, what, what the errors are of the person that's trying to control him. Uh, what are they missing? Um, what positions are, are they cycling through? And there just aren't as many positions here and Kiesa doesn't have to do quite as much. Um, so there's issues with Magni's control. Um, there's issues with both of their striking, much more Kiesa striking. But for Magni, this was the fight of don't get grappled. And uh, I don't think that was an option for him just because of uh, the way he fights. He's built to clinch people. And Case is better there, and he's better has better options. Um, I, I don't think it was dumb for Magni to try to take him down. I think just based on him being who he is, it, you don't just clinch with him and not take him down. Yeah, take him down. Try to be the one that gets top position, but the positions he was ending up in weren't weren't safe against a scrambler of that caliber. So fight's over. Case definitely won. <laughs> I'm gonna stop sharing my screen now. Um, yeah, I'm I'm tired of talking. You're probably tired of hearing me. Uh, I, I could do, I could do that again. Uh, I do the, the pay-per-view main events. We do commentaries. Uh, Jerome and I do, we'll do another one this weekend. We did one for Holloway Cater, even though it wasn't a pay-per-view. Uh, next card after the pay-per-view, February 6th. It doesn't look like that is a, a wrestling main event. So I probably won't do it for that one. And, uh, UFC 258 is Usman Burn. So you'll hear my commentary for that if you're a patron, for sure. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have, really, for now. Uh, check out the little recap I did in the beginning and the Chandler-Hooker semi-prediction. We'll see how that holds up. But yeah, you'll hear from me again next week after uh, after that card. And we'll talk about stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'll do another commentary. We'll find out. All right. Bye-bye.